morning, everyone. My husband Pete introduced this morning, and we've got our family with us this morning. So my name's Anya, and uh, we have two daughters, Eleanor and Lottie, who are six and 18 months. Um, and we had a real pleasure of spending a lot of time over in Rawns before Christmas, I mean, the autumn term, and we've missed you guys. So it's really good to be back. So you've got to put up with us again this morning. It was a bit of the Willis show. So glad to have Angie breaking things up in the middle there for us. But it's really good to be here. We're in the middle of, or in the midst of a teaching series uh, this month called Thrive. And if you were with us at Big Church, Steve kicked off um, the start of that series. And basically, in 2020, we kind of want to set our sights on thriving in the kingdom of God. So not just surviving our everyday lives, not just settling or trying to keep our head above water, but actually choosing ways of life that see us thriving and Steve started the talks by, by thinking about how we steward our legacy. So if you missed Big Church, I really encourage you to catch up on that podcast, or if you were serving in one of the areas and missed the talk, you can catch up online with, with the introduction to that. And when we talk about stewarding, we mean basically what we've been given, the things in our hands, taking responsibility for those things and using those things well. So over this teaching series, we're looking at time, which I think Sandra introduced last week, our energy, our talents, our resources, and our money. The things, basically, that we're blessed with, and we're held to account of how we manage those things, whether we waste them, whether we use them effectively, and then the legacy that that leaves behind. In Proverbs 3, 13, 22, it says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So we believe that our legacy leaves an inheritance behind us as individuals, but also um, as a church, what's inherited by the next generation, um, not just in our own families, but in our wider community. We sow into those around us what we hold in our hands, those responsibilities that we've been given. And we've got the power to change our communities for, for better or for worse, um, especially collectively as a church. We might feel like, what can I do as just one individual person? But when you look around the room of actually all of, all of the things collectively um, that Central Vineyard Rawns holds in, in your hands, actually there's, there's a lot of impact. So one great example that I've seen that Rawns is doing is the Summer Kids Club. You know, using the time and the money and the talents of those within the church to sow into the community and to impact the next generation, leaving a legacy that's more than just what happens on a Sunday morning or more than what you can do with what's in your own hands. Um, and so today we're going to be thinking about money um, and the way that we reflect Jesus with the way that we hold the treasures in our hands, the finances that we have and the resources that we have. Do, do I reflect Jesus with my treasures? And Steve often says that if you want to know where your, you probably copied this from somebody wiser than him, but if you want to know where your priorities are, look at your diary and your bank statement. So basically, what you give your time and your resources to, what you give your money to, reflects where your priorities are, what's in your heart. Um, and there's an American pastor and author that Pete and I have been reading one of his books, John Mark Comer. Um, and he says, where you put your resources is where you put your heart. It's the steering wheel of, to your engine of desire. So it really reflects what you put your money and your time and your energy into, reflects what your heart and your passions are. And last week we considered, yeah, so um, Sandra was talking about time and how that's actually finite. We don't get an unlimited amount of time. It might feel like that, it might, time might stretch on and on, but actually we want to make our time count for something. And in the same way, we want to make our finances and our money and our resources really count and give glory to God. 
So I'm going to start off with reading from Psalm 112. Um, it's quite long, so it's going to be up on the screens behind me. But if you want to take time to turn to that in your Bibles, it's Psalm 112. So praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delights in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure and they will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honour. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. So I'm going to be talking about how we wisely use our money and using the Bible really as that, as, as that source of wisdom. For the past 10 years or so, um, many businesses and employers have frozen pay rises, to, um, cut staff, reduced workforces. And the impact of that is the average employee in the UK is now about five times worse off financially than they were in 2008. So cost of living has risen and often people's wages and income has not risen or if, in fact gone the opposite way. So to talk about money might feel hard for some in this room. And I just want to recognise that, that, you know, you might be sitting in this room thinking, oh, a money talk, is she going to tell me to give more? Is she going to tell me this, this and this? And actually maybe times are, are tight and hard for you. So I want to recognise that. And actually this, this talk hopefully is as applicable for those with very little through to those with so much you don't know what to do with it. So if anyone there is a, a so much I don't know what to do with it, you can shout out and I can give you lots of wisdom on that. Um, no, but it, hopefully this will have something for everybody. Um, and we know that from running the Compassion Ministries, in, so I'm involved in that in Northampton, um, and I know there's food bank in, in Rawns as well, there are still thousands of people in Northamptonshire still living in poverty right now. About one in four children um, are not having three meals a day because their families can't afford it. And so we know that you know, money can be a really difficult issue and, and can be really hard for some to know what to do and how to make things work. And it can be easy as well to assume that we're all in the same boat, that we're all, um, you know, that, that everybody's similar to us. But we don't know what others are going through. We don't know what struggles um, or what fortune or blessing or whatever anybody else has around us. There are actually very few self-made men in this world. Those who are well off might have made good choices, but quite often there's a mix of circumstance and a set of events and supportive people around that create that stability. So none of us have the right to sit back and think, I've got this all right, I'm sorted, everything's good. Timothy Keller, another author, has got a book called Generous Justice, and he says, if you have money, power and status today, it is due to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and, and capacities and health, none of which you've earned. In short, all of your resources are in the end a gift from God. And so that's what I want to start off by thinking, actually, Everything we have, everything we hold in our hands is a gift from God. And so none of us have the right to hold on to those things tightly or think that we have got there because of our own merit. 
So Psalm 112, which we're reading from, it talks about our blessing comes from God's wisdom. And if we want to experience that fruitfulness of his abundance, we need to make wise choices that are founded in the word. So I'm going to take another verse from the Bible to look at that wisdom, because although we can sometimes be uncomfortable talking about money being very British, Jesus was not uncomfortable. Actually, he talked about money quite a lot. So reading from Matthew 6, from this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures in earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you'll eat or drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Now, I don't know about you, but confession time, I do tend to worry about those things that that he says don't worry about. You know, at least I, it consumes some of my mind thinking about the menu plan, what we're going to eat each week, the clothes that I'm going to wear, are they appropriate for the setting that I'm going to? Maybe, you know, my health and my body. These things are natural to worry about. And making decisions about those things can sometimes get out of proportion. You know, what foods are going to help me lose weight? Let's, let's count every calorie. Let's look at every, everything to do with that. Uh, what should I buy for the present? How can it be perfect for that person? Making a, taking a lot of time to decide about bigger things, you know, when we would need a new car, whether we t- make a repair or trade that car in and get something different. And I'm hit by, as I'm sure you are, a barrage of emails each day that tell you to buy new things. There's offers on. You need new clothes. You need new things for your home. So even maybe not consciously looking for those things, they're constantly filtering through. Or maybe on social media, adverts popping up or other people talking about how they're spending their money. The conscious and subconscious advertising tells us to worry about these things. It's complete opposite to what the Bible's telling us. And you could call this the gospel of consumerism. This desire, this worry and this hurry to constantly be thinking about money and needing more and more. Um, Over the past few centuries, um, it seems that that's actually increased. There's a strategy in marketing called thingification, where basically we've been trained to desire and want new things, even before the old things have completely been used up or run out. So, you know, this is a, a mentality that says what your desires are are more important than what your needs are. And it's completely counter to what Jesus teaches on the Sermon in the Mount. But it's completely accepted by all of society. And we have to fight so hard against it. It's why Apple can sell a brand new iPhone every year when 12 months ago they told you that that phone was everything you would ever need and does everything that you could possibly do with a phone. So even before the old has run out, you're told you need more and more and more. The wisdom of Jesus is so countercultural, it's really quite jarring. You know, you go to an online checkout page when you're buying something on the internet, and it says, thank you for your purchase, would you also like to buy this as well? But Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. That's Luke 12, 15. Our favourite TV programme might say, look at this new style of decor or fashion. Your home's already outdated. The clothes you wear don't fit in anymore. But Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor in Luke 12, 33. 
the Christmas advertising that we all saw says, treat yourself. Don't just buy for others. You know, make sure that what you get is perfect and indulgent and generous for those others. But also, put something in for yourself because you deserve it. You've worked hard. You've earned this money. You can have it all. But Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than receive in Acts 20, 35. So how do we get this balance? How do we live in the world with this constant pressure to spend, to have more, to consume, but also rooted in the wisdom of Jesus? Am I telling everybody to go home today, put your houses on the market, live out on the streets just with a shirt on your back? It's so countercultural. It's uncomfortable. But actually, I don't think that's Jesus' main point. I think it boils down to that line that says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a challenge to our motivation and our thinking, our hearts and how it consumes our minds. Jesus' main points are, do not worry and do not store up treasures on earth. So I think that Jesus is basically saying, don't get consumed with focusing on your stuff. And it sounds easy, doesn't it? That sounds quite, quite a simple thing to reduce it to. Don't get consumed with just focusing on getting more stuff. But like I said, there's just this constant pressure in our lives that we live to fight, and that we have to fight. We have to choose to be different. Jesus says, the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. And I find that striking on two accounts. Firstly, that we're invited to be different. Not told that we have to be different. It's not to make life harder or to give us a moral superiority over the pagans, but we're invited into a relationship with our Heavenly Father where he knows all we need. Pagans run after these things and your Heavenly Father knows you need them. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. Therefore, we do not need to worry. It's an invitation. We're released. We're set free from that bondage over money and worry about money, over food and clothing and all-consuming consumerism. We're liberated from it. But to be liberated, we also have to make wise choices. So this, this talk will include a bit of practical stuff. Uh, might be a bit different to um, one of our regular types of um, teaching in, in Central Vineyard. But I think through this series, we want to kind of balance the godly wisdom and how we apply that. So how do we steward what we've got wisely? How do we allow money to work for us not us working for money. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. So how do we do this? And there is a common misconception in the evangelical church that money is bad. You know that very famous verse of it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for somebody rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So therefore, rich people are unlikely to get to heaven, right? Is that what it's saying? No. You know, and we can often think that having too much money is evil or maybe it makes you evil. Um, and there's a, another verse that's often sort of misunderstood or misquoted. But Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the source of all kinds of evil. Some have been so eager to have it that they've wandered away from faith and have broken their hearts with many sorrows. So money in itself is not bad. It's not evil. It's okay to have money. It's just not okay to value money more than God. Earning and saving and using our money well is biblical. Wasting and worshipping money is not. 
So if we steward what we have well, we need to look to the Bible's wisdom and apply this. And then we can use our money to bless others and to do kingdom work and glorify God and enjoy the life that God has got for us. Um, Another author, Richard Foster, um, said, we begin by earning all the money we can and saving all the money we can. And then we can freely use this money with a properly disciplined spiritual life and we control and invest this money for the good of humankind and the glory of God. And finally, then we can joyfully give away the money where we have the opportunity to do more good. So using our money wisely, both through saving wisely, spending wisely and sharing wisely, enables us to do God's work. And it's not essential, let's be clear, God does not need our money to do the miraculous. God is not limited by any currency. He's far bigger and his plans are far better. But we also live in a world that's bound by finance. And if we're wise with what we've been given, then we can use those treasures to also bless others. So I'm going to break down the next few points into um, the three S's, share, save and spend. And we try to do this with our oldest daughter when we give pocket money, of talking about these three different areas um, and giving her some freedom of of choice over those things. What she would like to share, what she would like to um, save up for something more and what she would like to spend. And I'm aware that all of you are far older and, no, not far older, far wiser, wrong word. Um, some of you are older, um, but far wiser than me. Um, but hopefully through the things that I've been able to study and, and share for this morning, you'll know that I'm not saying I've got this all right at all. I've still got a lot to learn. But we want to be part of a church culture that teaches about these things and talks about these things and creates healthy habits. So even if, you know, just there's one or two things that you can take away today, then hopefully that can, you know, build health in our church around this. So firstly, thinking about share. And to get our heads around this not being a legalistic or tokenistic attitude, we really have to grasp that what we have is not really ours. And we might own stuff, we might own homes or rent homes that's full of stuff that we own. In Pete's opinion, our home is full of too much stuff. Um, He's been reading books about minimalism, so we've got a bit of a battle there of how much stuff is too much stuff. But... All of us have stuff, um, but actually, we, like I said at the beginning, the stuff that we have, that we've acquired, um, it comes through God's blessings. Sometimes it might not feel a blessing. I think Sandra was saying earlier, maybe her study doesn't feel like a blessing at the moment. There's too much stuff in there. She likes it. Okay, that's good. It's a blessing for her. So just a few verses just to reiterate this. Colossians 1.16 says, For him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Everything in the earth belongs to God. And there are some things, just an analogy here. So our oldest daughter, um, she was quite upset that I was going to talk about her by name. She said, I don't want everybody to know my name. So our oldest daughter, Eleanor, said that, um, no, she's, so she's got some things that are precious to her um, that existed before her baby sister came along. And she does a pretty good job of sharing those things. But some of those things are hers. And sometimes she needs to check out, do I have to share this? Um, is this ours or, or mine? And often we, we do encourage her to share if it's safe for her baby sister to play with as well. But she does like a bit of appreciation for sharing those things. You know, well done, you're doing a good job with, with that. But at Christmas, they had some shared toys, some things that they were given between them. So a a play tent, for example. 
and some of those things might live in Eleanor's room, but she is perfectly okay with Lottie coming in and using those. There's no question because they're shared. So even if they live in her space, they're not just hers, and she is free to, to share those things. And it has much more relaxed attitude over Lottie taking, taking control or going in the tent. And it's a good way, I think, for us to think about our money and our resources. Because if we think that it all is ours, and we think, okay, God's asking me to give that away or to share that, we can expect a bit of recognition or praise or, you know, a real struggle of, okay, I'm sharing God, um, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm doing my best here. Aren't I doing well at sharing? But actually, if we just think that we're holding on to all this stuff that belongs to us and God equally, then when we're asked to give it away, when God prompts us to share that, then actually it's not just ours to hold on to anyway. It's just God using the stuff that's his. And it's just that it might live in our house or our bank accounts. So sharing's a heart attitude. And you don't have to be rich to be generous. In many ways, that does make it harder to give away. It's always best to practice from when you just have little, to hold on to the things you have loosely. It is hard to share the things that are precious to you, the things that you've worked hard to gain and acquire. But if you feel that that's a struggle for you, then ask God to enlighten you with his kingdom perspective. Because I can say that only God can change that heart attitude so that you can honestly stand before God and say, what's mine is yours having our hands and our hearts wide open, giving God free access to all of those resources and not seeing them as our possessions and our things that we have to share. And sharing in the church context is often related to giving financially, and that's really super important, but it's not where it ends. So tithing is the biblical model, which we can practice here in church, and actually that can become a habit in all areas of our lives. Many places in the Old Testament, it refers to tithing as giving a tenth, But the New Testament liberates us from those rules. We no longer have to live under the law of the tenth. We now live under the grace of God, and God loves a generous heart. So the good news is it doesn't have to be a tenth. It now can be all. You can give freely. Um, But it's not. this isn't about um, how much you put in the offering basket. It's about our heart attitude of giving all that we have. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Each of you should give as what you've decided to give in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, and one great principle of, of this heart attitude is not so much how much you share, but the way that you give it away, giving away our best. And it's referred to in the Old Testament as giving away the first fruits. We see in Deuteronomy 26, um, when the people enter the promised land, they were asked to tithe, but also to give away their first fruits, the first and the best of their crop. And in an agricultural community, that would be a big deal. You know, they'd have worked hard. It would have been hard manual labour to actually bring all those crops into harvest. And probably at the end of that season, before the new harvest comes, um, would have been living off dried or stored goods, and it would have been running low. They'd have been desperate for that first fruits to fill their tables and their bellies. So that command to give away the first fruit that they were desperate for themselves actually is really significant. But the command is clear, and it's mentioned all the way through the Bible in the Old and the New Testament. Proverbs 3, it says, Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. What God requires is our best and what we have first. Before we spend, before we choose what to save, sharing has to come first. 
and not begrudgingly or with tight fists, but it says joyfully, hilariously, to the point that stretches us to teach um, to, and teaches us to rely more on God. And we try to instill this in our children with some reluctance. Eleanor still wants to just give away the teddies that she doesn't want to play with anymore and, and that sort of thing. But actually, you know, trying to to create that atmosphere of we want to give away our best, not just the rubbish that goes to the charity shop, um, not just the second-hand things that go to the children that don't have presents, but actually our very best of choosing those things first. A few, maybe a year or two ago, I remember Pete giving away his favourite hoodie, hoodie to a homeless refugee. Um, and to be honest, he's tried to replace it several times and never found one quite so nice, which, of course, he doesn't begrudge maybe a bit um, but <laughs> um, we're called to give away not just you know the old thing that that we don't want anymore but actually the the best sweater off our back and we need when we give we need to be in the habit of not expecting recognition or reward or we can't control how that's received you know you might be aware of over Christmas, we had an appeal in our central compassion ministry grow baby one of our um, ministries where we do with families who have very little and um, basically we had an online shopping and an Amazon account where you could buy products and some of you I think from Rawns did get involved in that as well so buying brand new toys um, that were then put on offer for the families coming in who were either in crisis or living in real hardship and over Christmas we gave away brand new fantastic beautiful toys that in any family would be delighted to have um, to 170 children that across 70 families and all of those families were in genuine need. Um, you know, you could be quite sceptical of thinking, oh, are they going to have loads of other things under the tree? But most, if not all, were saying, this is now my child's Christmas present. This is what I can give them. Um, and we didn't give it away from the charity. Uh, it wasn't us giving it to the child. Um, what we did is put them on offer for the parents to come and choose a present for them to give to their own child. They wrapped it up. They took it home. They put their own label on. Um, and actually, what that was the impact on the families more than anything, that they could choose a brand new gift, not something secondhand, not with strings attached, not with any conditions, not with a label on that said belonging to Restore Northampton, um, but actually a gift from themselves to restore dignity and that we didn't want any recognition for the charity or the person who gave it. So those that bought online to give to that appeal didn't get a thank you, didn't get any recognition for the gift they'd given. Um, but it massively blessed those 170 children or 70 families. So our Bible is so clear that actually what we have, we need to share first to support others and to give to our community. Again, as far back as Deuteronomy, we see this instruction. If there are any poor in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. And there will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and the others in need. So, you know, this could be Rawns or Northampton in 2020. The command is still the same. Give generously. The poor will always be with you, as Jesus said. But, you know, that can sound, sometimes we can read that as a bit like an excuse. They're always going to be with you, so let's just get on with the other things. But actually, the Bible is really clear here, saying there will always be some, some that are poor, and that is why I'm commanding you to share freely. This is, this is what God wants in our hearts. And sharing sometimes stretches us and can sometimes be uncomfortable, especially if it's done in secret or with no expectation of anything in return. 
um, it can sometimes feel hard. I remember years ago giving towards a friend that was going on a mission trip and I felt God prompt me. I was away on a mission um, myself and had got a very limited income but felt that God prompted me to give some money away to her towards her mission trip. Um, And she wrote to me and said, thank you so much for that gift. I've bought myself a fantastic rainbow hoodie from Greenbelt. And I was so miffed because that is not what I gave her the money for. Um, but she, she did get enough money to go on the mission trip and that was between her and God. And it, and it really changed my heart. Actually, I've been faithful to what God's asked me to do and have got no control over how that money is spent. So sometimes it can be hard when we give away if we think that other people are not using those resources well enough or not doing what we think they should be doing. Um, but actually that's between them and God and it's about the heart of the giver that you know God is interested in our hearts as much as what's happening over there and he is faithful he promises to always provide keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have I will never leave you or forsake you he is a faithful God and if we follow his commands and if we live our lives free from that love of money then he promises that he will always be with us we can trust in him Okay, so maybe stating the obvious here, but um, we need to have some money and some resources before we can share them. So thinking about saving and how we save and spend wisely is important um, if we're going to be able to share what we've got. If we're thinking about the way that we steward this and and leave a legacy um, in our church and our families, we need to be committed to saving to be able to bless and to be instrumental in blessing others. Dallas Willard says, we use money to exercise our dominion for good. This is not about storing up treasures um, on earth. It's not about keeping things for ourselves. But it's about us being wise with what God's put in our hands so that we can use that wisely. It might be that you would consider putting aside some of your income each month or some of your your money to um, provide for others, to do random acts of kindness to say, each month I'm going to budget this for my um, food shop, but I'm also going to save the same amount so that I can bless somebody else at the checkout. Pete was in Audi last week, and he got the, got to experience the blessing. It was, wasn't him doing it, but the lady in front of him had had a, her shopping paid by the people in front of them. So when she got to the till and was about to pay the bill, then they said the bill's already been paid. The people in front of you who have left and already gone out to their car um, and will never know they've already paid your bill for you. And he got to experience the joy of that lady. And not only the blessing on that lady with her food shop, but the cashier said, I've never seen that in my life. Why has she done that? Isn't that amazing? Um, and Pete said he must have, the, the couple that paid must have been part of a talk like this on a church on Sunday. Um, And if they didn't know God, they needed to because they were good Christians in the making. But, you know, what a blessing we could be if we regularly set aside money each month to be able to randomly bless strangers. Maybe saving now can bless the next generation on the ability to go into further education, to buy a car for in the future, to get married. Maybe your own children are grown and flown the nest and you think, I've done all that. Yep, that's all done. But maybe God's saying, could you do the same for somebody else? Is there another family within the church community that's not going to be able to do that for themselves? I mean, wouldn't that be phenomenal to say, I'm not saving for my own children's university, but for somebody else, or for a car for another family within the church? Can you imagine how much that could be a blessing? So we're not talking about saving to store up treasures on earth. 
but about the biblical principle of radical generosity. And on a very practical level, there might be things that you would love to do. Perhaps having a car would enable you to get um, a you know, quicker commute from work and have more time and energy with your family. That's a good thing to save for. Holidays aren't cheap. There's not many of us that would be able to just say, I'm going to book a week in the sun, um, just you know, from my general monthly budget. We have to save for these things. And these things, you know, God is a good father. He delights in us. And I've heard lots of brilliant stories of God providing for cars and for homes and for holidays and all of those things. But I also think that when God gives us enough, that we also need to be spending, saving what we've got wisely, um, because that's also a blessing from God. He gives us good sense and wise counsel that we can make good choices. So we have to have that balance between our complete reliance on God and that he will meet every need, but also the wise use of the resources that he's given us. You know, we could be on our knees praying, asking God to, to provide for something that we want or need. And actually, he's already given us a job with an income that now allows us to have enough surplus to save for that thing. And I think that's also an answer to prayer. But God is a good and generous God who abundantly and outrageously wants to bless us. So what I'm not saying is it's all about drawing up a good savings plan and no faith. Actually, we need to be praying too. And we might be surprised that God might just answer that prayer in another way. So lastly, the third S, spend. And obviously how we spend the choices that we make, um, that's, that's going to affect how we use our resources. There is a limit, like I said, like our time. And we have to be conscious of what we do with it. So whether your income is big or small, whether it's a regular income or whether you feel that you've earned all you're going to have and you've got to now make that stretch. We want to steward well and leave a legacy of blessing rather than of debt. We want to bless others around us. Um, and so we need to consider how we spend. So this is a practical top tips bit um, of my talk. So firstly, the obvious wisdom is budgeting. Knowing what you're spending um, helps us use our money wisely. And obviously we can do this by forward planning and by checking back. And quite often I hear those around me, friends, people at work or at church, um, people in other, in other areas of my life just saying, I just don't know where my money goes. You know, it might be that you're thinking you're spending £40 on food shopping, but actually then nip into the car on the way home and then buying lunch out. And, and then it's ended up being three or four times that. You know, maybe if you buy lunch out at, at work, a Boots meal deal is pretty cheap. It's £3 something, uh, £3.30, I think doing that every day of the week, maybe a couple of coffees as well. In a household of two people, that would add up to £2,400 a year. Maybe you wouldn't want to choose to spend £2,400 a year on somebody making you sandwiches and coffee. You know, it's not that those things are bad. It's just knowing and planning, is that what I want to spend the limited resources I have on? Or are there other ways to make that stretch better? Another confession time, I'm not the budget holder in our house. Pete is really good, Pete's really organised. But I've noticed that um, with other friends and things, you need to have at least one person who's dedicated to keeping on top of wherever the money's going um, and inputting the data and checking back. And there are lots of apps and systems and things that can help with that. Um, John Marcoma, who I referred to earlier, says, a budget to your money is what a schedule is to your time, a way to make sure that your treasure is going in the right place and not getting swandered. So if somebody said to you, I don't know where my time's going, I don't, you know, my days just seem to drift on and, and uh, just run out of time, you might suggest they use a diary and to plan some things in and to have some structure to their time. And a budget's just the same. 
And secondly, prioritise. There's certain things you can't avoid. There are essentials, and even Jesus recognised that. I think Jesus, you know, was very practical in his teaching. He knows that we need food and clothes and shelter. He acknowledged that, but he also said, don't worry about them. And the best way to not worry about those things is to make sure they're covered. If things get out of hand, there are ways to to get things back in control. So if you feel that those basics are really at risk, if you're sitting here today and just think, I just can't make things add up, we've got some CAP money courses um, running centrally and we're looking at running them around the different areas of the county. So please come and chat with me afterwards if you'd like something really practical around budgeting and prioritising and making what you've got come in work for your family. And then... Something that I've not necessarily even thought of much before reading this book by John Marcoma is that he suggested some really healthy questions when we go to spend. Questions like, what's the true cost of this item? So if you're buying a car, it's not just the ticket price of the car, but also the insurance and the maintenance, um, all the on costs of that. Um, another question, maybe, is by buying this oppressing the poor or harming the earth? Is this, a, is this something that's okay to be spending our money on? Um, was this planned and within budget? Is it an impulse buy? Is it something useful or something that will give value to what I want to do or become? Is it something that's going to help me in my journey of faith or become a distraction? Could I experience this without a purchase, such as could I borrow it from a library or a friend? Has somebody already got that book that means that you don't have to go and buy it for yourself? Could I buy something better but less? You know, shops like Primark or Ikea or pound shops do so well by making, you know, make lots of quick and easy purchases, knowing that it can be replaced if it breaks um, or, you know, doesn't last. But actually, is it better for the environment and for our wallets and, and for the treasures that we have to actually plan what we're spending and buy something that might cost a bit more but last a bit longer? You know, these are actually really good questions to help us make sensible choices with, those, with the money that we have. Fourthly, avoiding temptation. Where is it too easy to spend? I don't know about anybody else, but those contactless payments, you know, you just tap it £30. It doesn't really feel like spending money. It's a bit like Monopoly money. Um, you don't even have to put your PIN number in or sign for anything or think about, you know, not passing over any cash that's in your hands. Um, so contactless payments, maybe... Um, apps on your phone like Amazon or eBay, again, it, you're not necessarily always thinking about the cost um, in the same way because it's not passing over the money. Are there ways, are there things that draw you in? Again, replying to emails that constantly are telling you about sales and offers that are online. Are there things that you need to make ch change habits to avoid temptations? And fifthly, being accountable. You know, some accounts and budgets allow you to share that with a spouse or an accountable friend. This guy from this book, John Marcoma, has said that he has a rule with his friend if they want to spend over £1,000 or $1,000, he's American, um, then they check with this accountable friend first. So, like, maybe somebody in your huddle or that type of thing, where you say, looking at buying a large piece of furniture or a car or something like this, can I just check this out with you? I'm thinking of doing this. And interestingly, he said, since they've put that rule in place um, a couple of years ago, neither of them have had to use it because they've not made big purchases. So maybe just knowing that you're accountable to somebody else changes that mentality that the world always says, if you deserve it, just go for it. What harm is it going to be? Are you surrounded with people who will keep you accountable that will encourage Jesus' wisdom rather than the world's wisdom? Are there people that are an influence in your life that 
encourage you to get more and more and more that when you see them you always want to be wearing your nicest clothes because they always are their house is perfect you always feel the pressure to keep up how could you deal with that with God but also maybe reorientate some of those relationships maybe you could even talk to them about trying to process these things for yourself be bold enough to share where you're at you know there is one good thing in our culture at the moment um, in respect to us being it's being more acceptable to talk about simplicity and zero waste and you know these things are kind of buzzwords for 2020 and I think we're a long way off in our culture of teaching uh, of what Jesus teaches but maybe it does give us the language to start discussion with those around us of how we want to do differently things differently so just as as we're finishing off um, some of this wisdom stuff, I want to just reflect back on Psalm 112, the end of that, and about the security that it promises. These verses at the end have the boldness to mention security in the same chapter as money. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure and they will have no fear. And I've worked in family support and different kind of outreach work in the past and seen the absolute paralysing fear of families who have loan sharks come into the door, of having people chasing them down for money that they owe, of having to literally hide, drawing the curtains, fearful of going out because of that fear. And right here in the Bible it says, surely their hearts are secure and they will have no fear. They will have no fear of bad news. Debt and financial worry is a significant factor in mental health. 50% of people who are in debt also suffer with mental health problems. What is the godly wisdom that builds healthy individuals and families? What's God's best for us to pass down to the next generation? And I believe that you know this really is rooted in prayer and reliance on God for what you need. Sometimes the best budgeting strategies and the wisest ideas still don't make those figures add up. And there are seasons in all of our lives that God reminds us that we need 100% reliance on him. Actually, we probably need more of these in our lives, but we're quite often afraid to pray for that because that's a scary thing. You know, God, make me rely on you more. We often know that's going to come with a challenge. Um, God doesn't just get us to rely on him more by going through nice, easy times. Um, And it might not be financially for you that you're having to rely on God at the moment. You might be on your knees in prayer for, for other things of wanting to see prayers answered. But prayer is so important. And remember that prayer, the very famous prayer that Jesus taught us, the only instruction that he gave us on how to interact with our Heavenly Father. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. How often do we say those words? As a non-traditional church, we don't pray those words weekly from the front, do we? But how often do we say some version of that prayer. I know that that's not something that I'm saying daily in that, in that way. But actually, when we acknowledge who God is, the awesome creator of the kingdom, our Father in heaven, when we acknowledge our relationship to him, our, that we are his sons and daughters, then we know that we can ask him for anything. We can be secure in the knowledge that he will provide all that we need, whether that be our daily bread, literally our food, or maybe the repair on the, repair on the car that would push us over budget, or the money for the next school trip, or even enough to give away. How often do we say, God, provide for all I need? And I was moved by someone sharing a story 
a little while ago, um, of God providing. A young guy, Stephen, who was a voluntary intern in a church um, in Brighton where, when I was um, at university, him and his wife, Emma, had got a, a new baby and they were reviewing their family finances. And she'd got a student loan of about £4,000. They decided they wanted their children to inherit a legacy of savings rather than of debt. But financially, it didn't add up. It wasn't going to work. She had no income at the time. And they said, we could just forget about it and pretend it's not there. Or, you know, let's actually just put this. They felt really compelled to put it before God. Um, and they said they didn't, you know, spend a whole day praying and fasting or weeks or months. They just maybe 10, 15 minutes just sat and prayed, but intentionally setting out. And as they did that, they were also um, reminded of a friend that needed £800 for something. So they said, well, we need 4000 4, for the to pay off this student loan, and um, this friend needs 800 so let's round up to 5000 God can do that. And they just said, you know, God, we just are going to trust in you that you're going to provide this. Um, they were so confident in that father's abundance. They weren't just asking for themselves. They were confident for somebody else. And then a week later, somebody at the church noticed that the intern's shoes were tatty. The soles were hanging off the, his um, shoes. Um, and she generously offered to buy him a new pair and said, you know, how much would you need for a new pair of shoes? And he's no, oh, 50 pounds maybe. Oh, I think he said 20. And she said, no, I'll give you 50. He didn't think anything related to the prayer they'd said earlier. Um, well, within the week, she handed him a cheque um, that was for 5,000 pounds. And when she went, he went and said, hey, this isn't the 50, um, this is 5,000. Have you put the dots in the wrong place or something? Um, she said, no, we asked, what does Stephen and Emma need? And God revealed this amount. And I'm always blown away, you know, that God not only cares about what we need, but also just so specifically, he knows those prayers. But also, they were bold enough to ask for somebody else. So obviously, they paid off the loan, he got himself some new shoes um, and were able to give the money away to the friend. And it just challenged me. And I wanted to bring that this morning of just that legacy of stewardship that, you know, not only do we, can we just be praying for our daily bread, but looking around, asking God, who else needs something? Throw that into your prayers as well. Um, and actually, God could, could use you to be a blessing to them. So maybe you've not got a need of your own today and you could be bold enough to pray that prayer, to listen and to look for the needs of others. And allow it to challenge your heart. You know, is it that you that needs to stand in the gap? Is it God that's going to do this that's beyond our, our powers and what we can do on our own? But just to also to just end with saying that we have the security in him. Everything we receive is from him. That's where we started. And so just as we, that needs to be part of our actions and our, and our surety in, in God. And let us model that as we step out in prayer and in faith. So let's stand as we just respond to, to this. <clears throat>